you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 17. And as you're turning there, I, we're going to honor uh, dream teamers like uh, Velma and Tina Irwin. Velma and Tina both come early before. They are one of the first. Where are they? Tina, are you here? Yeah, and Velma right there. Well, you guys stand. We want to honor you, y'all, and thank you for what you do. You, you, don't, you might not know why you're honoring them, but they come every week. They are here early. They, they run through the building, make sure it's straight. They lay things out. They help with the food that's needed. Whatever the need is, they get involved. And we're so grateful for women like that. So we'll honor some others. Thank you, guys. So we're in this series on the Ten Commandments. It's in Exodus chapter 17. It's also in the book of Deuteronomy. But why don't you stand with me as we read together, and then we'll get into tonight's, uh, we'll get into today's message. Uh, just remember I know you're standing, but it's not a bunch of do's and don'ts. You've heard this for the last seven weeks now. It's, a, it's principles. There are principles in each commandment that if you live by them, your life will be better. God wants you to flourish with him, and he wants you to flourish with others. And so these principles, when put into practice, help accomplish that goal about your betterment and your flourishing as a child of God. And God spoke these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. It's the principle of priority, that God has to be first. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven or above or earth beneath or the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. It's the principle of purity. You can't have multiple gods. You'll love one and despise the other. You'll hate the one and be devoted to, to the other. You got room for one God. You shall not Misuse the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. It's the principle of reverence that we carry the name of Christ, and we need to carry it in a way that brings glory and honor to God. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. It's the principle of rest, that one day a week is supposed to be different than every other day of the week. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live a long life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. It's the principle of honor. And if you can learn it in that relationship, it can carry over to every relationship. You shall not murder. It's the principle of love. If you were here, not here last week, I encourage you to go online and, to, and, and learn about the steps to hate and, and the steps to love. You shall not commit adultery. That's what we're talking about this morning. It's the principle of intimacy. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant his ox, donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray today in the name of Jesus that your word would fall on good soil and produce a harvest in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. You know, no one wakes up in the morning and says, today I'm going to violate the seventh commandment. Nobody, nobody, uh, nobody this week is going to say, hey, I just think I'm going to have an affair. And I've preached this topic before multiple times over the last 25 years of passion in this church. But today I'm preaching this topic with more passion and more urgency than ever before. There is a pathway to promiscuity. There, that if you want to have an affair, let me tell you what to do. Convince yourself that it cannot happen to you. Here's what the Bible says. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. It's happened to better men. It's happened to better women than both you and I. 
Uh, David was a man after God's own heart. David spent time in devotions. David wrote songs of praise. David had a close relationship with God. He had a commitment to obey God's word. David believed, he had a conviction that God's ways were the best. But yet in a moment of compromise, he fell prey to the lure of the enemy. When you convince yourself, well, this would never happen to me. No way I will end up in the bed of someone or else or other than my wife or in a compromising relationship. You have a tendency to put your marriage on cruise control. Apathy sets in. Life takes over. Here's what Peter said. Be self-controlled and alert. Be aware, be, be cognizant, be, be mindful. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You, you don't, I'm not telling you to live in fear, but you live by the, by the fact. You don't live, well, I'm going to fail. No, no, no. But you do have to live in light of the facts. In fact, here's the facts. 41% of marriages, one or the other spouses admit to a physical or emotional infidelity. 41% admit, how many don't admit? An affair could happen to any one of us. I need to be ready. We need to be on the offensive. We need to be aware of the devil's tactics. We need to be aware of our weaknesses. We, be, we, be, we need to be proactive in maintaining healthy, vibrant marriages. So, so how do you have an affair? You convince yourself it cannot happen to you. But I want to flip it. How can you have a love affair with your spouse? Amen. Here's how you do it. You, can, you convince yourself that it can happen to you. You can have a great marriage with the spouse that you're married to right now. With God's grace and some hard work, you can enjoy and cherish your mate. You say, well, we're just too different. Well, thank God you're different. Who wants to marry somebody just like them? How would you like to be married to someone that looked like you? Thank God our spouses don't look like us or feel like us or, or talk like you or act like you or think like you. We're supposed to be different. Our differences complete us. They make us stronger. They make us better. They give us more potential. We're no longer two, but we're one. I, I know with Angie, she makes me better at raising kids. If it was up to me, I would just beat them. They mess up, you need a beating. We're just bending over, you're gonna whooping right now. And she has to continue to remind me we gotta connect before we correct. She, she, we're better at making decisions better together because she has a different perspective. She has a different viewpoint. She has a different understanding. And when we, when we talk about it and discuss it, we normally make better decisions than if I were to make it on my own. It makes me better at life when I'm anxious Angie helps me, uh, pulls me out of it. When she gets negative, then I'm able to speak into her life and, and help her in that area. It, it helps me to better serve Jesus. Where is the best place to learn and practice patience and kindness? Where's the best place to, to, to walk in goodness and faithfulness? Is there a better relationship where we can walk out forgiveness, where we can show grace, where we can express mercy? Is there a better environment where you can learn to compromise and care, to lay aside your own agenda and your own needs for the needs of others? Marriage provides that relationship. Marriage is an opportunity for us to become more like Jesus. We, in fact, we need each other to become more like Jesus. Amen. Your spouse is not the enemy. They're God's provision for intimacy and a means and a way to help you grow in, your, in, in becoming more like Christ. You say, well, we can't get along. 
And here's my response. Well, quit being so self-centered and selfish. Make it your goal to honor and encourage and love one another. If, if we will grow up and start acting like two adults that love Jesus and have a heart for God, we can get along. Here, here's what I know about marriage. There is an attack. There is an attack on the, on the covenant of marriage and the institution of family by, by our culture, by Hollywood. And by Satan, he's a strategist, he's sneaky, he's deceiving, he, he wants to destroy marriages. Why? Why is he so opposed and why is he so against marriage? Because your marriage is sacred to God. Because it's the only human relationship that can fulfill your need for intimacy. Because a healthy Christian family is the most suited environment to raise children. The family is the central cell of the social and spiritual soul. Satan realizes that if he defeats the Christian marriage, the church is gone, society is gone, government is gone. Marriage is the primary platform for the re release of human level on every, uh, human potential on every level. And the bad news is that there's a war being uh, waged against your marriage. Satan would like nothing more than to put a wedge and to sow a seed of unfaithfulness or bitterness or resentment or incompatibility. But the good news is, listen, Satan has been defeated and we serve a God, we serve the God who created marriage and family. It was his plan, it was his idea, it was his divine institution ordained, birthed in the heart of God. And if God be for it, who can be against it? And when the enemy comes in like a flood, he can raise up a standard against it. So you can listen to the lies of the enemy. Uh, you can say, well, we can't get along or there can just be indifference and this marriage is destined for ruin and there's no way I can stay with this man. Or by faith we can declare, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm going to choose to honor and respect my spouse. I'm going to choose to cherish and love my wife. I'm going to choose. I'm going to choose. I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to do the right thing according to God's word. And by his grace, we're going to go closer and closer every day. You know how to have an affair with, a, with, a, with someone other than your spouse? Convince yourself it cannot happen to you. But on the flip side, if you want to have a love affair with your spouse, convince yourself that it can happen to you. Here's another point. Cultivate, you want to have an affair, cultivate a relationship with a third party. Cultivate a relationship with a third party. Here's what the Bible says. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. There's deception in our world. Hollywood portrays adultery and promiscuity as romantic and exciting and fulfilling. The image makers surround it with laughter and music and beautiful scenery. In fact, of all sexual acts that are on the TV, 10 out of, for every 10, for every one that is in the covenant of marriage, there's 10 that are outside the covenant of marriage. The media glamorize it, glamorizes it, even promotes it. There's a magazine called LA and Affair. This is what they said, an affair can be sexually recharging an escape from a worn out relationship. It can be a way into something better. Here's what the world says, Harper's Bazaar. Marriages are improved by affairs because they get their fill of rapture elsewhere. These lovers are not apt to complain or nag or find fault with their partner. They go as far to say if a woman has an affair, she is asserting herself as a feminist. AshleyMadison.com, it's a website for people that are married that want to have an affair. Their slogan is, life is short, have an affair. That's what the world says. Here's what the word of God says. Flee from sexual immorality. It's where we get the word 
pornea, it's where the, 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 um, the English word pornography comes from. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Listen, all sin is equally damning, but not all sin is equally devastating. Adultery has different, different consequences than jaywalking. Sin is sin, but not all sin carries the consequences and the ramifications like sexual sin. And people ask me all the time, well, what's the difference between a sexual sin? I thought all sin was sin. And it is. There's just more consequences. There's more hurt. There's more pain. There's more shame. You know what the consequence in the Old Testament was for committing adultery? If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. There were no repeat offenders in the Old Testament. Like you got one, you did it one time and that's it. Like you never did it again because you're dead. They kill you. The consequences in the New Testament are not physical death, but they're potential the death of a dream, the death of a relationship, the death of your integrity, the death of a family, the death of your career. I hope you're hearing me this morning. I hope you're hearing the passion. I hope you're hearing the urgency. I hope you're hearing the teaching. I hope you're listening to the word of God and, and you're not being conformed to the pattern of this world, what the world says. Listen to me, young people, what the world thinks, what the world says of satisfying, it's a lie. It won't fulfill you. It won't satisfy you. A, a man who commits adultery lacks judgment. Whoever dis, does so will destroy himself. Blows and disgrace are his lot and his shame will never be wiped away. No matter how painful or how unsatisfying your marriage is or how much seemingly irreparable damage has been sustained, adultery is never the answer. Adultery will not reduce your pain. It will multiply your pain. And when it comes out into the open, and it will, because God loves you too much to allow you to stay in sin and risk you going to hell. So your sin will come out. It's the grace of God giving you an opportunity to change. And when it comes out, the shock and the shame and the guilt and the gravity of your sin will be so much worse than you ever anticipated. The hurt and the pain that you cause others will be unbearable at times. Adultery is not the answer. There are those here today who have been involved in adultery or have been victims of adultery. And many of you have done the hard work and showed unbelievable grace and given undeserved forgiveness. And years later, your marriage is better than it's ever been because you can recover. You can live and thrive after unfaithfulness. But the journey is long, the price is high, the pain is real, and the process is overbearing at times. I've never heard someone say, I'm glad I had an affair. I made out just fine. No, everybody that's went through it would plead with you like I'm pleading with you today. It's not the answer. It's a lie. It's deception. It's not worth it. You say, are you trying to scare me? Absolutely. 
I'm trying to put the fear of God in your life. We talked about righteous anger last week, and I'm angry at what sexual sin, how it's destroying our people. And it's, it's got to stop no more if it's in the pew or behind the pulpit. We have a Jesus to represent. We have a testimony to defend. We have God's word to be obeyed. We have kids that need to be raised in a godly home. We have a legacy to leave, and we have a kingdom of God to expand. So, among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. A hint of sexual immorality. You don't get in a car alone with the opposite sex if you're not married to them. You don't flirt with the opposite sex. I'm talking about, I'm talking to married people right now. And you young people, you're not married, you get in a car, you, you put Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John right beside, right, in, right between you. And, and Mason, you say, if you want to get to me, you got to climb over the disciples. You got to get over every one of them. In Jesus' name. You protect yourself and you set up good boundaries and you honor the Lord in this area. You will not regret it. But you marry people. You don't get in a car alone with the opposite sex. You don't flirt with the opposite sex. You don't meet someone for a meal if they're of the opposite sex. You don't close the door of your office and be alone with the opposite sex. You don't share secrets with the opposite sex. You don't make memories with the opposite sex. You don't talk about your marital struggles with the opposite sex. You say, Pastor, that's legalistic. No, that's wise. You've got to put some safeguards up in your life. I, was at, I went to visit my daughter yesterday. and I, took, I went up Friday. She lives in Chesapeake, and I took my granddaughter. It was just me and my granddaughter and my my daughter, and we had a, I'm wore out. I mean, my little three-year-old Marley wore me slap out, but we had a great time. But I'm driving home, and I was thinking about this message, and, and I, I was going down 460, and, it's, and it's, there's some winds and turns, and there's a guardrail on the side of the road. And, and the guardrail is there so you don't fall off the edge. And, and, and I would just illustrate it like that's the edge, and that's adultery. You don't want to go there. So they put a guardrail up. But I'm telling you, the guardrail's too close to the edge. Like, you don't want to bump up against the guardrail. The guardrail might be, well, I don't want to have an improper relationship emotionally or physically. And so that's my guardrail. I'm telling you, that's still not a good enough guardrail. Because the line, you, you know, the line that set, there's a, there's a, do they call it a shoulder? There's the line, there's the guardrail, and then there's the cliff. And I'm telling you, if you keep bumping up against that guardrail, you're going to damage your car. You're going to damage the person in it. You're going to wreck. If you think the guardrail is okay, you're going to damage. You're going to, you're going to produce some damage. But if you'll move back to the line, if you'll, if you'll, so, if you'll stay so, away, so far away from the guardrail, and that's what I'm talking about. It's some principles. It's some safeguards. It's some convictions. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to cross this. I'm not going to tell a, another woman she's pretty. I'm not going to, I'm going to make sure I hug in an appropriate way. I'm not just going to bump up to the guardrail. I'm going to stay behind. I'm going to stay on this side of the line. Because that's what Paul's talking about. Don't even have a hint of sexual immorality. And this can relate to if you're single or if you're married or whatever your situation might be. And, and singles, you don't practice cheating. If, if you just say, well, I'm just having a little fun before I get married. No, practicing cheating is setting yourself up, uh, setting yourself up for failure. If you're sleeping with multiple people, it does not, it does not produce or help you or prepare you to be faithful to one person. The Bible's teaching is purity before marriage, marriage and fidelity after marriage. 
Because it's God's will that you should be sanctified. It means set apart. It means holy. It means consecrated. It means dedicated to the purposes of the Lord. And when you're messing around in sexual sin, you're not sanctified. That you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable. That stays away from the guardrail and stays away from the edge and stays on this side of the line. Not in passionate lust like the heathen who don't know God. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Well, how do I do that? You treat older women as mothers. And you treat younger women, or you could flip the gender in there, as sisters. Here's the key, though. With absolute purity. Absolute. That's the line. Absolute purity. The guardrail's closer to the edge. But I'm going to stay on this side of the line. Not a hint. An absolute purity. How do you have an affair? You convince yourself it cannot happen to you. You cultivate a relationship with a third party. Well, how do I have a love affair with my spouse? Same thing. You cultivate a relationship with your spouse. You, you, you make choices. And here's what I know. I've preached this before. Early on, feelings lead and choices follow. I, I, when we, me and Angie were dating, I gave her flowers because there was such an, there was so, I had so many feelings towards her. So I felt in such a way, and my choices aligned with my feelings. I opened the door because I wanted to honor, because I, st- I wouldn't get off the phone because I wanted to hear a voice, because my feelings were so strong. And, and this isn't right or wrong, this is reality. Over time, we can't live by feelings. Feelings don't keep us. Feelings, if I went by feelings, I probably wouldn't be a Christian today because I don't always feel saved. I wouldn't get up in the morning every morning. I, 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 if I, we went by feelings, you just can't live by feelings. You, and when it comes to your walk with Christ, you live by faith. But when it comes to your marriage, you begin to make choices and feelings follow. Why don't I feel the way that I used to feel about my spouse? Because you're not making choices that produce and create those kind of feelings. So now if I give flowers, and I don't mean this wrong, and I don't, I don't want you to take anything bad. I'm telling you, this is reality. Now I give flowers, you, you give flowers, not necessarily because you feel like it, but because it's the right choice. It's the right thing to do. And when you do that, feelings begin to follow. I, I don't honor because I feel like it. I honor because it's the right thing to do. And when I begin to honor and esteem and build up and, and, and articulate my love and to share my, my, my appreciation, then feelings start to follow. Choices lead and feelings follow. That's why we know communication is so important. I don't feel like talking. You can't go by your feelings. You make a choice. You know that communication is like blood to the body. You take out the blood, the the body dies. You take out communication in a relationship and it dies. So I have to choose to make time, create time, turn things off, put things down, come inside and sit across from my wife and communicate with her. I gotta make a choice to court her. And I mean, have fun, go on a date, play, enjoy one another. Because now that we've been married almost 30 years, it's, it's easier to just stay home and go to bed early. <laughs> you young people don't understand that. 
I want every light off. I'm trying to save money. I, I, want that. I, I go to bed for economic reasons, not romantic reasons. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Every now and then, just kidding. It's choices. It's choices. Hey, let's go on to the next point. Because we're going to, here, I'll go, here's, forgive us the Lord, I'll get, come to that second service. If you didn't get enough of this, come to the next one. Compare your, here's the third thing. Compare your spouse to a third party. If you want to have an affair, compare your spouse to a third party. When we compare our spouse to someone else, it's not reality, it's fantasy. Well, she looks so good at the office. Yeah, because she took an hour to get ready. You seen her when she rolls out of bed? You smelled her breath early in the morning? It's just like everybody else's. You see others at their best in a controlled environment. They're made up. They're on their best behavior. It's, it's fantasy, not reality. There's music playing in the background at your home. The only music you hear is kids fighting. The smell is captivating. At your house, the smell is the dog pooped on the carpet again. And the feeling is somebody wants me. Somebody appreciates me. I still got it. It's a lie. You don't have it. Get yourself home and do the right thing. Here's how you have a love affair. Here's how you have a love affair with your spouse. Accept your spouse as God's provision for your life. And this is so important and this is so vital. And this is probably the hardest point to preach. And you can't, it's not a lot of fun maybe, but it's such reality. Let me just read the scripture. So the Lord God caused Adam to go into deep sleep and he slept and he took one of his ribs and he closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man, and he brought her to the man. And I just want you to get the picture. So Adam's in a deep sleep. He wakens from a slumber, and God presents him with this woman. And he didn't know Eve. He didn't know, he didn't under, he didn't know her quirks. He didn't know her hang-ups. He didn't know she, she expected him to put the lid down on the toilet and the cap on the toothpaste. He didn't know that yet. He didn't understand how different they were that she was expressive, that he was more introspective, that she was overly sensitive, that he was extremely insensitive, that everything with Eve would intertwine. How he treated her at dinner would result in how he treated her at bedtime. His life was in categories, which he could easily slip out from one to the other. All he knows, all he knows is this is God's provision for my longing for intimacy. The one thing that was not good, that was, it was man was alone. And then he needed a companion. He needed a helpmate. And so God created this woman and presented it to Adam. And Adam didn't know all her stuff. But all he knew is this this is how God chose to complete him. This is God's gift to him. So what did he do? So the man said, now this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of a man. I'll tell you what he did. He received her. Based on the faithfulness and goodness of God, he accepts her and receives her as God's choice creation for him. And this is where our minds have to shift. My spouse is God's provision for me. He has given me this gift and I have to choose to receive it, cherish her or him and grow in the relationship. Here's the pathway to promiscuity. Convince yourself it cannot happen to you. I'm above it. I'm better than it. Man, ain't gonna touch me. Cultivate a relationship with a third party. Well, we're just friends. He really understands me. She appreciates what I have to say. He makes me feel good. 
like a teenager. The problem is you're not a teenager. Stop acting like one. And there's nothing against teenagers. If you're 16, act like a 16. But if you're 35, quit acting like a kid. Do the right thing. Compare your spouse to a third party. My wife never dressed like that. My husband is insensitive to care compared to him. It's fantasy, not reality. How do you have a love affair with your spouse? Convince yourself it can happen. You can have a great marriage. Cultivate a relationship with your spouse. Take the time, the energy, be proactive, and accept your mate as God's provision. I want to close. The worship team is coming back, but here's, here's where I want, to, I want to get real personal. I want you to begin to really search your heart. If you're in an affair, emotional, physical, if you've crossed boundaries, if you're vulnerable, if you're looking at porn, if you're not living a life like the scriptures we just talked about, I'm telling you, come clean before you get caught. Amen. Yeah. You got to tell your spouse. Well, if I tell my spouse, it's going to hurt my marriage. The truth is it's already hurting your marriage. And the other partner just doesn't know why. Listen to me, because sin never creates intimacy. Sin always separates. Sin distances, it doesn't unify. You have to talk. You have to bring to the light what's in the dark. It starts by talking to Jesus. You've got to confess it continues to talk to a, a friend that you can confide in, that you can share with, that you can be honest with. Here's what I know about accountability. Accountability is only as good as you're willing to be truthful. If you're not truthful, throw accountability out the door. It doesn't work. You need somebody you can talk to about. If you need a counselor, you need to go to a counselor. You need to seek guidance. You need to seek help. And you gotta talk to your spouse. You got to tell them what's going on. And there's ways to do that. And I, and I want you to do it in that order. Talk to Jesus. Talk to somebody you can trust that can give you wise counsel. And then take steps towards telling your spouse. If you've had an affair and you've confessed and you've repented, listen to me. Receive the grace and the mercy of God. Depend on his spirit to help you in the days ahead. In John chapter 8, there was a lady brought before Jesus in the very act of adultery. And there was a man involved in it. And, and, and everybody was ready to kill her because that's what religious people do. They want to they wound the, they want to hurt the hurting. They want to wound the wounded. They want to beat the, the one that's already down. They, they want to judge and condemn because it makes them look better. Jesus, the only one that had the right to judge because he was the only one without sin. And he looked at everybody around and said, if you don't have any sin in your life, then start throwing stones. And from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped their stone and they walked away. And Jesus took that girl, looked with compassion in his eyes and said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus died for every sin 
including sexual sin. His payment is enough. Accept and receive the mercy and the grace of God. If you've never had an affair, if you've never had an improper relationship, if you've never done cross improper boundaries, then keep fighting the good fight. Keep the faith, finish your race, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep fleeing sexual sin while pursuing your wife in a close relationship with Christ. If you wanna enhance your relationship with God and others, if, if you want to avoid the pain and shame that comes from unfaithfulness, if you want to create oneness and intimacy with your spouse, if you want to give your kids a good example, then from this day forward, honor the seventh commandment and do not commit adultery. Set up the line far away from the guardrail. Amen, everybody. Stand with me, will you? I want you to ask yourself this question. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? In the season we're in as a church and the things we're dealing with, and if you're visiting today, you, you might not understand what I'm saying, but everyone that that has been a part of Clover Hill knows that we're in a tough season right now. And here's what we can do. We can, I don't know what we can do. Here's what I hope we do. I hope we have such deep introspection in our own lives. I hope that, that we say, not just with our mouths, but with our hearts, search me, oh God, and see my heart and see if there's any wicked way in me. I mean, my prayer for me and my prayer for you is that we look so deep into our own lives that we get so far away from the guardrail, that we set up proper boundaries, that we're warned once again, that this would be an act of God's grace to keep us in a safe place. Help us, Lord, I pray. So Holy Spirit, what are you saying? And you know what, here's what I know, I talk about sexual sin, but Holy Spirit can really talk to you about any sin might not even be sexual sin. It might be something else the Lord wants to deal with you. But if you'll just say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? He'll speak. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Speak to us today in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We're gonna take communion today. We take it on first Wednesday. We thought it'd be appropriate to take it this morning. And uh, there's some stations up front on the side. There are even some in the back on both sides. And, and when you get ready, I, I don't know, you guys create the order, but we're gonna go into a time of worship. If you'll just, when you're ready, just come and get the emblems. Don't open them, just take them back to your seat. And, and this is what I want you to do. I, I just want you to take these next few moments of just searching your heart. And if there's sin, confess. And if there's... If there's vulnerability, admit it. If there's some things you don't like that need to be changed, ask for God's help. And then we're gonna take communion together. So Lord, I pray you'd bless this time that we would, Holy Spirit, listen to your voice, that we would be very reflective in our, in our walk today, that we would, we would be extremely brutal and honest with ourselves and honest with you and that you would just pluck out and dig up anything in our lives that's not pleasing to you. Will you just put your hand on your heart? And I, I'm sorry, but I just, I, I, I know I'm laboring this, but would you just say, search my heart, oh God. 
Search my heart, oh God. Lord, I don't want a divided heart. I don't, I don't want to, I want to, I want a heart that's fully committed and devoted to you, Jesus. Lord, search my heart today in Jesus' name, because I know my heart is deceitfully wicked, and I, I don't need to trust my heart. I need you to search my heart. And I ask it in Jesus' name. When you're ready, go get the communion and return to your seat, and we'll take it in just a minute.